Our Bible reading today is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout Achaia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happens that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us, as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. This is the word of the Lord. As we stand, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your precious word. And as we begin this morning to look at a a part of it um, again afresh, Anew, maybe for the first time for some of us, we pray that you would speak to each and every one of us uh, through your word and by the power of your spirit. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a seat. A young lad uh, moves to a new school. He's a Christian, and he's not afraid to tell people that, but he's picked on, and he's made fun of, and he's physically attacked. Why why would God allow that? A parent governor of a Church of England school gently suggests in a meeting that God may have a a different take uh, on sexual ethics to that of the culture. They never even get to articulate what that take might be, but they are forced to resign for the offence that their narrow-minded, bigoted views have caused. Why would God allow that? Christian parents do their best to bring up their children in the faith, but witness them being led away from Jesus by friends at school or at university or college. Why does God allow that or a good and able gospel minister preaching his heart out faithfully each week laying on good events to to welcome in people from the local community and tell them uh, about Jesus but year on year the church shrinks 
and nobody seems interested in coming. Why would God allow that? Well, there are people I know, people I know well, behind each of those examples. I'm sure you could add some of your own. Situation after situation where we we find ourselves crying out, why is this happening? Why are you allowing this? Surely these things shouldn't happen if we're on your side, God. Well, this is exactly what the Christians in first century Corinth thought. They expected the Christian life to to be a story of strength, of well-being, of success and power. But what they got in their founding pastor, the Apostle Paul, was quite different. His was a story of weakness, of of deprivation, of of persecution, and, and much suffering, actually. And this clash between what they expected on the one hand, strength, and what they got in their their leader, in their their pastor, Paul, weakness on the other. This is the main issue that Paul is seeking to address in 2 Corinthians. Strength and weakness. What is the relationship between these two? Strength and weakness. Indeed, what what even are they? How, How do we define those terms? Some of you will be familiar with uh, J.I. Packer. He's a hugely influential evangelical leader, Anglican clergyman, theologian, writer. And at the time of recording this video back in 2013, uh, he was into his 80s. Now, if you're watching this on, uh, on catch-up, uh, then unfortunately, due to copyright reasons, you won't be able to, to, uh, to see this. But if you just search uh, or follow the link in the video, search J.I. Packer Weakness is the way, you'll get that. Okay? But if you're watching live online or you're here uh, now, you're going to get to see this video. Take a look at this. Powerful stuff, no? Packer died uh, last summer. Uh, he was 93. The Lord's strength is made perfect in our weakness. Packer is quoting from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 10. And this really gets to the heart of what 2 Corinthians is all about. It's why we've called this series God's power in our weakness. And it's another example of how in God's kingdoms the values of the world are turned upside down. They're turned on their head. I mean, the world is all about strength and, and power, isn't it? From an early age, that you know, we are encouraged to, to, to grow up and, and, and be strong. It's what is expected of us. To be strong is, is a good thing. To be weak, well, not so much. Strong people lead. They overcome. They endure. They influence. They direct. They, they, they achieve. They, they protect. They direct other people. Weak people, they're inadequate. They're lacking in something. They're they're, they're passive. They're helpless. Very often, weak people, we would associate with failure. That's what the world would have us believe, at least. And from a certain point of view, um, it's what we read in our Bibles as well. And we, we think sometimes that that can support that. It turns out, actually, that some of my favorite Bible verses involve strength. Sure, maybe some of yours do too. Isaiah forty thirty one. Those who wait on the Lord shall, what you know the you know the end shall renew their strength. 
Joshua 1, be strong and courageous. Time and again at the start of Joshua in that first chapter, we hear that repeat, that refrain repeated. Be strong and courageous. Be, be, be strong and very courageous. Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I love that part of God's word. The next military man, I, I love the, 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 spiritual, um, the spiritual armor stuff at the end of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Clearly, spiritual strength is something we should be praying and working towards. It would be wrong for us as Christians and followers of Jesus to, to settle for anything less. But too often, I think, we end up misreading uh, those passages. And, and what happens is the focus shifts in our, in our reading and in our understanding from God's strength to ours. Who will renew their strength? According to Isaiah, it's those who wait on the Lord. How do I, fe- how do I fight the spiritual battle? According to Paul, it's those who are in the Lord. In my daily Bible reading this week, I was, I was in the Psalms. Psalm 84 says this, Blessed are those whose strength is in God. In God. Their strength is in God. They go from strength to strength. But the truth is, uh, we are actually weak. Physically speaking, as humans, we, we, we are weak. I love how J.I. Packer who we've just seen, puts it. He says, the truth is that in many respects, and certainly in spiritual matters, we are all weak and inadequate, and we need to face it. (laughs) He's pulling no punches, is he? (laughs) We're all weak and inadequate, and we need to face it. Sin, he continues, which disrupts all relationships, has disabled us across the board. We need to be aware of our limitations, and to let this awareness work in us, humility and self-distrust and a realisation of our helplessness on our own. Thus we may learn our need to depend on Christ at every turn of the road. We need to learn to depend on him whatever life is throwing at us. This, folks, is the territory of 2 Corinthians. Over the next few months, we're going to see Paul return to this theme time and time again. It is arguably the most dominant theme in his letter. Christian life, Christian ministry is all about weakness, human weakness, human sufferings, human failures, turned into something spiritually pure turned into something spiritually amazing, something precious, something eternal, through Almighty God. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. We've got some uh, prep work to do. So if you have your Bible with you, before I uh, question, who reads the weekly, uh, weekly email? <laughs> Hands up. Yeah, and who acts on the weekly email? You've seen in there, I did encourage you to bring with you a, a, a copy of the Bible. You may have one on your phone. Um, bring it with you on, on a Sunday. It's hard because we can't give these, the Bibles out in the church at the moment. I know that. But you, uh, particularly this morning, you're going to find it quite helpful as we, as we dot around in, in God's word, particularly in, in, in two uh, 2 Corinthians. But let's turn to it now uh, and get our bearings. If you're unfamiliar uh, with where 2 Corinthians is in, it's in the second uh, part of the Bible, a bit we call the New Testament. The New Testament begins with sort of four accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're the, what we call the Gospels. We then get the book of Acts, which is um, 
a sort of really it's a it's, it's a letter it's a, a, a history of the early church that's probably a, a good way to think of it we then get a letter to Romans and then then we end up in one and two Corinthians so that's where you'll find two Corinthians if you if you turn to it um turn to it now and my task this morning is to introduce you to this letter and and to set the scene so that as we work our way through it in the weeks and the months ahead it, we would have a good understanding of what was going on not just because we like background and history although frankly you know history's a good thing you should like history history's good I'm, I'm a historian I like history now not just but not just because we like we like history but because we believe that not only was the Bible written to people back then for a particular reason, but that it was reason, written by, to people back then for us now today as well for a particular reason. So it's good to understand uh, what is going on. So how does 2 Corinthians begin? Look down, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 and verse 1, like this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. In other words, Paul, Paul, who is this ex-Jewish leader, uh, this ex-Jewish leader who was renowned for chasing down followers of Jesus before he was converted and persecuting them, killing them, this Paul is now Jesus' messenger. He is an apostle of Christ Jesus. And he's not self-appointed. It is by the will of God. It was all part of God's plan. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. And Timothy, our brother. Now, Timothy, of course, was Paul's uh, timid, loyal companion, his, his, his brother, his fellow worker. And together they write to the church of God in Corinth. What a description to the church of God in Corinth. It's not Paul's church. It's God's church. Not long after we were married, Debs and I uh, helped plant a church in the, in the north of Scotland. We became leaders uh, in that church, and uh, we loved the church. Uh, we tried to care for it well. We loved it. We loved it deeply. And it was hard to leave nine years ago when we left Scotland. It's hard to leave. But it was made easier by the fact that we knew it wasn't our church. Yes, we'd help plant it, but it was God's church. I've just come from Jesmond Parish Church in, in Newcastle. That's where I've, I've been for the last nine years. To hear some people think, you would think it was David Holloway's church. It's not David Holloway's church. It's God's church. St. John's isn't Mike Smith's church. It is God's church. You get, uh, you get the picture. The church is God's alone. And we gather as his people to hear and obey his word and to minister to each other in different contexts as we do. To the church of God in Corinth, Paul writes, together with all the saints throughout Achaia. And, and then here's what holds, um, holds us together now, if you like, with those believers uh, back then in Corinth 2,000 years ago. We are brothers and sisters of the same Heavenly Father. Look at verse 2. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As then, so today, the church of Jesus Christ must listen to the apostle of Jesus Christ. And I'm not an apostle. I'm not an apostle. I'm a Christian leader. I'm an overseer, if you like, to use Bible speak. Preaching, yes, the apostolic faith. 
There are no apostles in that sense today, despite what some would claim, and you may hear in other, other circles today. Apostle, apostles, though, are, are those who somehow witnessed firsthand the resurrection of Jesus and were commissioned by him to preach and to teach and to record that faith for us. As such, they have the authority of Jesus himself, and that is why we do well to pay attention to what is written in their letters. So why is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth? What's the, what's the backstory, if you like? Well, if you've got your Bibles, turn back a few pages back to uh, Acts. Um, and uh, as I said, Acts is really the history of the early church. And if you, if you turn back to um, uh, Acts 18, you'll see what happened in Corinth. So just turn back a few pages to Acts chapter 18. And we read there in 18, um, verse 1, that Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. So this is when Paul first gets to Corinth. Now, Corinth was a, um, a relatively young city. It was in Greece. It's, uh, it was strategically important. Um, it, it was sort of an important trading center. In that sense, it was on, on, a, on, a, on a, a trading route, had a couple of harbors. It was economically Prosperous, so there was a vibrancy to this city. As I say, it was quite new. It was part of the Roman Empire as well. And, and it was actually full of immigrants, if you like, coming in. They were trying to find a, a better life for themselves as they came in into Corinth. Um, uh, you know, we, we have people, don't we, with, with us who, are, who have moved vast distances to, to try and, and make a better life, a different life here. So it was full of people, people on the move. And as such, it was kind of characterized by a whole host of different things. So travel, uh, people traveling, tourism, that sort of thing. Sport was a big thing. There was a big entertainment culture in, um, in, in Corinth. You know, do you see the similarities in, in some ways? Business, as I've said, it was, important. It was a, uh, significant for its business. But there was a lot of, uh, with a lot of people coming, there was a lot of religious pluralism. Uh, there, there was a, a lot of emphasis on sex. So you can see it was a complete um, hodgepodge, a, a real sort of you know, unique melting pot of a, of a city, if you like. This is the city that, that Paul rocked up in. And we see in verse 2, when he rocks up in this city, he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy. Uh, so he, he was on the move with his wife Priscilla. And Paul went to see them. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and he worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. So Paul arrived in Corinth. He got straight on with the task of telling other people about Jesus, staying and initially working with some friends. Then look down into verse 5. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively at that point to preaching testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, so he hit opposition, he was abused, he shook his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. The Jews aren't going to listen. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. So Paul left the synagogue. He went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. Then, verse 8, Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his whole entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard him and believed were baptized. 
There's so much we don't know. Uh, this, is, this is just a very small snapshot of Paul uh, in Corinth. But what we can piece together is that Paul is facing opposition. There are hard hearts, particularly from the Jews. And more than likely, he wanted to give up. He was frustrated. So then we read in verse 9, still in uh, Acts 18, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. He said, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack you and harm you, because I have many people in this city. And so Paul stayed for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. So he's there. Probably the best part of of two years by that point. And after planting this church, he moved on. But as he moved on, Paul soon heard there were problems back in Corinth. And in one sense, with that wonderful gift of, of hindsight, it probably shouldn't have surprised him, given that Corinthian culture that I, I, I outlined earlier. As one writer comments, what else would you expect from a bunch of people who are mostly Greek, following a Jewish Messiah, a Jewish Messiah who is suffering and dying nonetheless, in the middle of a Roman city, which prides itself on always coming out on top? What else would you expect but confusion and mess? It was a mess. And no doubt there were a thousand and one subtle ways in which uh, that Corinthian culture pulled on these young Christians. They wouldn't necessarily have seen it though. In many ways that perhaps we don't see the way our culture pulls on us as followers of Jesus. Affects our calling. Leads us to compromise, perhaps. If you don't believe me, just ask yourself, for example, when was the last time that you obeyed the fourth commandment? Remember in the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Anyway, that's a question for another time when I'm going going off piece a little bit, but that's enough for another time. The point is here that the young Corinthian church were confused. There were all sorts of influences on them. And reading in from their culture, they thought that Christian life and ministry should be a story of strength and success, something their founding pastor was not. Take, for example, his preaching. He was not a gifted public speaker, Paul. But then again, the most influential and the most faithful for the Lord sometimes aren't. I don't know about you, but as a young man, I uh, and continue actually to benefit greatly from the writings uh, and the ministry of John Stott. And so uh, I was delighted when we were in Scotland and I heard he was coming to preach in, in Inverness. I'd never heard him speak before. He was on his final preaching tour around the UK. And I have to confess <laughs> that I was slightly underwhelmed. I'd heard an awful lot about this chap. What he preached was gold, don't get me wrong. I've still got the notes in my filing cabinet, but I had to work hard to stay with his fairly constant tone. Again, I digress, but but Paul wasn't a gifted speaker. Worse, his message didn't just cause people to walk out or the way he preached didn't just cause people to fall asleep or anything like that. They want, well, they did actually, but they wanted to kill him. They literally wanted to kill him. On one occasion, they stoned him. So there was no politeness here. They left him for dead. Other occasions, he, was, uh, he, was, he ended up in prison. So you can see why, can't you? With this sort of probably fairly monotone expression 
a message and, and a way of speaking that just infuriated people and, 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 and they wanted to kill him and he was ending up in prison. Who was this leader anyway? No wonder they were questioning his leadership. And in response to all that, okay, this is what the Corinthian church are asking. In response, Paul wrote the church a letter. Actually, he wrote the church a few letters. He wrote the church four letters. We think he wrote four. We've only got two. The first one appears to have been ignored. No copies of it survived. The second one is what we call 1 Corinthians. Uh, and, and as well as addressing issues of his leadership in that letter, um, he also dealt with, with a whole host of theological and practical issues. Things like sex and marriage and, and spiritual gifts come up in 1 Corinthians. And the resurrection comes up. It is a great, great letter. But sadly for the Corinthian church, this letter also seems to have gone unheeded. And so after two letters, he follows up those two letters with a, with a visit to the church in person. He goes to see them. He's moved on, but he goes back to see them. Gosh, that visit didn't go well. Paul is seriously bruised by it. Again, we don't know exactly what, what went on, um, uh, but he, he's seriously affected by it. And, and as he left them from that visit, he fe- feels compelled to write now a third letter. Again, we don't have copies of that letter, but if you turn back to 2 Corinthians, we've been in Acts, if you turn back to 2 Corinthians, you will see that Paul refers to it. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4. This is what he says, referring to that third letter. For I wrote to you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. Well, that third letter appears to have done the trick. Because if you turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 um, and verse 8, you will read there that uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 uh, verse 8, I see that my letter hurt you. I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance finally <laughs> finally after three letters one disastrous visit it appears that some in the corinthian church repented and so paul writes a fourth letter uh, our two corinthians as he prepares to visit them once more now why is this history so important why why, why have i gone into so much detail Well, the answer to that question is, I think, that it shows how much Paul loved the church. He did not want them to compromise their faithfulness to Jesus. And and so it shows how much Paul loved Jesus. That mattered to him. And he persevered. And he persevered with this church. He loved the Corinthian church deeply. But they drove him mad. He went bonkers. I mean, we're going to come on and see how he, how he talks later on. But they drove him mad. And, and actually, in 2 Corinthians, in a way unlike any of his, uh, of his other New Testament letters, we get to see Paul at his most passionate. He's open. He's vulnerable. He's emotional. He knew the spiritual battle was raging and and actually in in his mind it was no way clear which way it was going to go. And so he gives everything in this letter. And sometimes that makes for us difficult and uncomfortable reading. 
does. You know, we even get what I like to call sanctified sarcasm towards the end of the letter. You get sarcasm. I love the fact that that's in this letter, by the way. But it's there. Paul knew that he had to get into the heads and the hearts of this church. He had to get into their heads and their hearts right expectations about what the Christian life is like, about what it means to do Christian ministry. And that far from being this story of strength and success, human weakness and suffering is the way. And that same battle still rages in 2021 in Hartford, folks. That battle still rages. Satan is still scheming. He's trying to convince us otherwise. He is out to deceive us. He is out to lead us astray. But we have two Corinthians. We have the whole counsel of God here in the Bible. We have two Corinthians. And it's full of priceless instruction to help us navigate the tricky terrain. If you've not read it before, or it's been a while, hold on. (laughs) If you have read it before and you are familiar with it, then allow yourself to be re-encouraged as we journey with Jesus. Please, if you've not done so already, go home and and reread the whole book uh, in, in, in one, if you get a chance to do that this week. I think that would be a really fruitful uh, exercise. And if you're looking for something uh, to read along with it as we, as we uh, go through this series, then can I recommend two books uh, to you? One uh, is called Weakness uh, is the Way. Let's try and get that in. There you go. The Weakness is the Way. It's by J.I. Packer, who we saw earlier on. This is a, it's only four chapters, folks. And, and it's, it's really, really easy to read. But it's so encouraging. Meditations on 2 Corinthians by J.I. Packer. And then the second one is this. It's by a chap called Gary Miller. It's called Two Corinthians uh, for You. It's a really, really helpful commentary. It's, again, it's short. It's accessible. It's very readable, very practical. So uh, two, two recommendations for you, and, and you won't go far wrong with either of those. Finally, though, let me leave you with a trailer. A sneak peek, if you like, of what is to come. As I was doing my prep in in the text this week, I was reminded just how many um, awesome chunks of God's word find their home, actually, in in 2 Corinthians. I haven't time to share all of them with you. Uh, There's loads. But let me just share a few by uh, way of whetting your appetite as we close. So if you've still got your Bibles open, you might just want to flip with me as we we go through. So 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 3. We heard this read earlier, but let me just read it again. It's coming next week. Verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Wonderful stuff. It's coming next week. Uh, Over the page, uh, 4, 4, verse 16 and 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. 
For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. A couple more chapters further on. Chapter 10, verse 3. Take a look at this. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. We live in the world, but we don't fight like the world does. Keep going. 11, verse 1. He says, I hope you will put up with a little of my foolishness. But you're already doing that. He says, I hope you'll, this is where it comes, this sanctified sarcasm. I hope you're going to put up with some foolishness. He gives it some, then skip to the end of the chapter. So that's 11, verse 1. Skip to the end. Um, uh, what verse do I want? Verse 30. Uh, if I must boast, he says, he's been doing all this boasting. If I must boast, what will I boast in? I will boast of the things that show my weakness. That's what he says. I will boast of the things that show my weakness. And then 12, verse 7. We heard it all, uh, uh, earlier. I'll just read this chunk here. To keep me from becoming conceited. This is 12, verse 7. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh. A messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul writes, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. So that Christ's power may rest on me. This is why for Christ's sake I delight in my weaknesses. In insults. In hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And his last verse of all, 13 verse 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. We know this, don't we? Be with us all.